0: Have you ever bought something like, I don't know, maybe it's a bicycle for your kids, it came in a box, or uh, maybe it was a grill that you're trying to set up for your wife, and it comes and you're thinking, you know, "I, I can buy this, I'll put it together, it's no problem, and then... You start to put it together, and your wife goes, we should have paid somebody to do this, right? And you're you're just trying to put it all together or fix things or maybe it's some type of appliance you're working with, and you run into a problem. You sort of get stuck. I actually have a bunch of IKEA boxes for cabinets sitting in my garage right now uh, for us to redo the laundry room area, and they've been sitting there for a while. Uh, but I have got some of the other pieces in place, But I'm like, okay, once I get at that project, you're going to run into trouble a lot of times. And and what happens when you uh, have a problem, when you're trying to put something together, um, they end up giving you a troubleshooting guide. A troubleshooting guide. Do you like troubleshooting guides? Because here's what I've usually found with troubleshooting guides. The trouble that they're shooting is never... The trouble that I'm having. And you're like, I don't know that. I don't need that. I don't need that. And then they give you a phone number, right? Who wants to call a phone number, right? There's challenges in being able to bring together a project or something. And if it's broken, then what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Well, we uh, started a series last week and we talked. That this series has to do with relationships. And uh, the relationship series was going to uh, focus on the C4 approach to relationship management. And if you were here, we said, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to focus on these four C's. How to convince, convict, coerce, and control. Because that's what we try to do with our relationships. And that's our troubleshooting guide. I've got a problem. I'm going to pull out my toolkits. That's where I'm going. I'm going to convince them. I'm going to convict them that this is right, or I'm going to coerce them, or I'm going to start to control them. And why do we do that? Because we're crazy people. Does any of that ever work? Has that ever worked on you before to do the 4C management of relationship style? And so we... um, are going to not unpack those four because those four uh, relate to life that we do not want to be able to have to um, uh, manage and get our way through. I am going to encourage us instead um, to think about what happens when you do these four. If these four are done to you, if somebody tries to convince you or convict you, or coerce you, or control you, what happens to you? You know, my particular one, I don't know which one's in your toolkit that you go to first, I go to convince. It's my belief that if you have more information, and if I can explain this information to you, and present it in a certain way, then you are going to come my direction, and we're all going to be okay. Uh, I had this... uh, Situation every now and then with my father. My father was sort of a, um, I wouldn't say stubborn, well, maybe he would be stubborn. He had sort of his own way of thinking, right? And uh, he would be able to uh, be set in his certain ways. And I thought, well, if I just, you know, write some things out to him, I have a conversation with him, I'll get him brought my direction. And then I started to realize as I got older that I'm not going to change my dad, right? Have you ever done that before? I think you're going to change your parents, and I would try to convince them on certain things. Or um, I don't. Does this work with your spouse? I I tried to do the convincing early on in my relationship with Melissa, and um, I would try to say, "Well, uh, this needs to happen," and then I would start to that thin line between convincing to trying to sort of convict, well, you should do this because this is the way it is. And then you coerce and then the control thing. None of that works. In fact, it was beautiful. My wife and I through the years, we have this little statement. In fact, she um, uh, gave me a Christmas present. It was a nice leather briefcase for me to throw my stuff into. And she actually had my name uh, embroidered in it, which was really nice, Carrie Bowman. And then right below that, and I didn't bring it up here, but you could see it. She just simply says, I love you, and then in parenthesis brackets, um, period. Well, that's sort of what we came to in our relationship. It wasn't, I love you if you change. I love you if you come my direction. Or, I love you because you do these things. I just love you, Period. And why is that such a beautiful kind of idea and thought? Because none of us want to be a project. None of us want to be something that needs to be fixed. None of us want to be on the other receiving end of being convinced or guilt-ridden with some conviction or trying to be coerced. No, nobody here. And if, if you're one of those people, you would be sort of a different kind of person here today. No. We want a relationship with the other person that has no agenda to it. Because what's on the other side, what's on the other side of these words, when when you're on the receiving end of them, this is how you feel. You feel rejection. And rejection is the kryptonite to kill a relationship If you feel rejected, man, you're distancing. You're you're pulling back. You're not going there. It's even kryptonite when you're right. None of us want to be on the receiving end of those four C's because there's rejection and distance begins to happen and you can see the relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship with somebody or even a co-worker, uh, maybe one of your kids, and it, it just starts to s- spiral into a vortex and you get sucked into some directions that are incredibly painful. Because none of us want to be in that kind of dimension. You see, reassembling a broken relationship is a learned skill. It's a learned skill, and that's, that's why we're camping here a little bit. It just doesn't come intuitive and you don't get a troubleshooting guide, and the troubleshooting guide doesn't really have an answer for maybe the particular kind of dimension of how your relationship's broken. And maybe it's a relationship you're in. Maybe one right now. Maybe you're seated next to the person. I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship that you've set aside, and it's been a distant past relationship because of the brokenness. Maybe it's a friend of yours that you're trying to counsel and encourage and, and and you know you're trying to pull things out of your toolkit to help them do this or do that you know they sort of they say this and we say well, yeah you just sort of should forget them or walk away from that but you know we're like well what really is going on and why don't I have any answers to this situation really and so that's why we are focusing on reassembling relationships. Reassembling is required. A beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. Pastor Oliver just mentioned about uh, the sweetheart dinner that's coming up on February 19th. I trust you take opportunity to do that, even if you have a significant other or whatever come. uh, This room will be set up banquet style and that kind of thing, catered meal, all that kind of stuff. But I'm really encouraged to have Trey, Pastor Trey, who's new with us on staff, to be able to share uh, as a marriage and family therapist in the many, many years of experiences he's had. And I, I was asking him the other day, you know, hey, what are you going to speak on? He said, well, I'll just, you know, all sense from God, what direction are going to go, that kind of thing. But I remember talking to him earlier when we actually interacted, and Trey said, yeah, I, th- I think this is how he phrases it. He says, a, a lot of times with couples, I have to teach them how to fight fair. Because you're going to fight. You're going to fight. So how do you fight fair? Now I don't know that he's speaking on that that kind of thing, but well, sharing—it's an interactive kind of environment, as mentioned. Come February nineteenth, sign up at the welcome desk. But um, we we need help. I was just in interaction yesterday um, with an individual, as is sort of common for my weeks, and they were stuck in a relationship issue, and they were at a place saying, I'm I'm just maybe going to walk away from it. And, you know, sometimes space and time's needed when relationships are broken. I understand that. But many times we just don't know where to go. And many times we don't understand what God is actually asking us to do, especially if we um, are a Christ follower and one who is seeking to be God-honoring in all that we do to him. And so, We need healthy relationships because, well, God encourages us to, but when you think about all that you have in life, all the things you do have or things you don't have monetarily or otherwise, um, I think this statement here is sort of true. We're only as happy as our core relationships are healthy. We're only as happy as our core relationships are healthy, we're, we're really only content And at peace in life, if our relationships are at peace in life and they're healthy. Now, maybe you'd like them to be stronger or otherwise, but if there's tension, if there's tension in a relationship, you go to bed at night, you wake up in the morning and you toss and you turn and you're thinking about that relationship or, you know, how to avoid it or how to try to fix it or how it's not getting fixed the way you're trying. And there's not a sense of peace in your life. Healthy relationships breed happiness or contentment in our life. And so, as we press into this, we need to receive from God what His teaching would be and what the encouragement would be there. Because I tell you what, uh, you look at life, and no, no person, no, no counselor ever said this, Sir, your problems stem from your healthy relationships with your parents or siblings. But the opposite of that is usually what's happening. And we said last week that our goal is not reconciliation. Now, that is counterintuitive, sounds strange. Well, I thought that's why we're troubleshooting, trying to fix something. But we cannot make the goal of our broken relationships reconciliation. Now, we can have that hope or that desire, but to make it a goal is to put an agenda on another adult because we don't control all the pieces in a broken relationship. Like if you break a vase or if you, you know, your kid's bicycle does break down or something like that, you're like, okay, I can try to fix this because I have access to all the pieces, But in a broken relationship, you do not have access to all the pieces, especially if in the broken relationship, the other person is very broken. That's why you go back to your toolkit of trying to convince and convict and coerce and control. It's it's our desperation to try to reach into their life to get them fixed. A lot of times it's, it's just not possible. But what about you? What can you do? And so our goal is not ultimately reconciliation, though that would be a hope or dream. Our goal is no regrets. To have no regrets. And so when I look back on um, some brokenness and relationships that I've had through whatever it may be, whether it's through life involvement, family issues, or, or ministry relationships I've had with people I've been coworkers with, it's... Uh, Can I rightfully say that I have no regrets? That I have moved in a direction that I felt God was leading me to. But a lot of times that reconciliation is not gonna necessarily come. I'm not going to convince, not convict, not coerce, not control. I am going to seek to do what God has called me to do, but the initial starting path can be these, that I'm going to move away from those things which I usually employ to try to fix it or fix them, and I need to now climb into another uh, disposition with my heart and my actions that are not knots. In other words, if you just choose not to do those things and cross your arms and you step back and and you can even say, hey, I've forgiven them, that kind of thing. You can sort of do that at a distance kind of deal. But there, the beginner's guide to reassembly means you need to do some proactive things. And so the idea just not to go to your um, uh, corner where you normally go with how to fix things and fix people is that those are not decisions. And not decisions, well, they are not enough. They're not enough. You need to do things. You need to step into things that are active do's. And so, we are going to spend a little bit of time uh, unpacking a few decisions that you need to be proactive with In living a life of no regrets as a goal in your broken relationships. And when you sit and counsel someone, and I can just park here for a little bit. (laughs) As you imagine, my world, I have a chance to, uh, I'm honored in one sense that people trust me with their life to interact, and whether it's in a um, a broken relationship or just some uh, desire that they have to grow spiritually or whatever it is, one of the things that's hard for me to do, and it's not like I can't fall prey to it as well, is I I want people to get voices out of their head that are not healthy voices. Do you know what I'm saying by that? A lot of times we live our life with voices uh, from maybe our parents' wishes or maybe a voice from, oh, my, my, my friend told me to do this and center ourselves before God to listen to His Spirit speak to us, whether through His Word or otherwise. But we, we have to step away from, many times, false counsel. Well-intended. They care for you. They, they don't want to see you in pain. And they're, they're ticked off and they're angry with what happened to you as well, right? But in the midst of some of that counsel, you're hearing these voices uh, that really are not the initiative of the voice of God to speak into your life. And the voice of God wants to speak into our life and encourage us to move in certain kinds of directions. And we need to go there. And, And the voice is to make some decisions that are proactive, that are helpful in moving forward. Because ultimately, Philippians 2 5, as we looked at last week, it says this for those of us who are Christians and Jesus followers, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You ever been in those places where you just cry out to God, I need to hear your voice, Jesus? The voice of Jesus is a lot closer than you probably give yourself credit to hearing. Oh, that's just me. I'm just thinking that. Or that's maybe some voice someone else told me. Or I had bad pizza last night. You know, friends, God knew that you and I, as human beings, needed a counselor, a guide. And Jesus, when he was ascended to the heavens and his disciples were freaking out about, don't leave. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, I will not be able to send the spirit, which is his very spirit himself, back to indwell with in you, we um, appreciate Oliver giving a little highlight there for the rooted thing. I mean, one of the cool weeks in rooted is how to hear God's voice speak to you. And and we're looking for about you know maybe four or five more people to be a part of that ten week rooted experience. If you want to be a part of that, talk to me afterward. Put it on the back of your connect card because uh, we go on a journey of ten weeks. And whether you're seeking the faith, new to the faith, returning the faith, or whatever, it's a beautiful experience. And it, and and you get to come to my house every Sunday night for ten weeks. Anyway, uh, so think about doing that, but as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about the discovery that we've had in Rooted, at every Rooted group that I've been able to have the joy of facilitating or being a part of, that the voice of God is closer than we speak, than than we think. And he speaks to us. And that voice is going to be like the voice of what Paul says here in Philippians that we need to have the same mindset, the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on human nature, founding human likeness, appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus, think about this, what Jesus did. Jesus did not stay at some distance in heaven. God didn't say, you know, we need to fix that human race down there. I think I'm going to send you down to sort of fix it, uh, to provide a provision for the forgiveness of their sins or whatever. And did Jesus go, nah, not going. You can I'm not going. No. Jesus, who was God himself, came in the flesh to come near to do what? To heal and mend relationships beginning with our relationship with him. I can just encourage you, if you don't have the voice of the Spirit speaking in your life, then I I invite you to consider stepping across that line of faith and inviting Jesus in to be the leader of your life. And if you've invited Jesus to be the leader of your life, have you sort of crowded him out because life's so busy and you don't find yourself centered before him? Doing a lot of good things good activities, making things happen. You're knocking it down, you know, being the breadwinner and other kinds of things, taking care of the kids. Seeing re- but do you walk in a daily disposition of hearing the voice of the Spirit speak to you? Because that voice is going to help you then have the mind of Christ to be able to move in some directions that can heal the relationships. Now, sometimes you're going to hear the voice of Jesus and the mind of Jesus. You're like, I don't want to do that. You know, it's like, uh, that's too tough. Like you we know, mentioned last week, none of us like conflict, right? Really? Uh, why are you speaking on broken relationships? I buried that one, or I neutralized it for a while. I don't need to go there. Well, you may have done that one for a while. Maybe or maybe not. God will get you back to, to work on that one. But I can guarantee you this next week or the next month or this year sometime, something's going to happen. You live in a human being world, and human beings don't get along with one another. You notice that sometimes? And you know why we don't get along with one another? because we got an issue, and our issue is sin, self-centeredness. It goes back to sinful nature, right? So Christ is changing and transforming our life to step in and bring healing in our relationship with God, but then that healing relationship with God in all of our relationships, in your relationships with one another, then you are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so, you know, if you're not a Jesus follower this morning, I think the due the decisions that we're going to start mentioning are good and they're helpful and they will be a, a, attractive to your life. But if you're a Jesus follower, then this is not optional. This is not optional. And sometimes we sort of do that dance, right, with Jesus one foot in, two feet out. No, that's a miserable place to live as a Jesus follower. Just be all in. And all in, the Holy Spirit will help you and guide you and direct you to move into the brokenness of the relationships on a horizontal level because God is restoring and has restored the relationship on the vertical level. And you're in a human being world and will always be for the 70, 80, 90 years if God so blesses you. We see the crises that are happening in our world time and again. People trying to, you know, put people in boxes and categories shaming people, whatever it may be, controlling people, people lining up for war, maybe. What's going on? It's brokenness, broken relationships, and we need to be able to allow the power and the ministry of God himself to come in the midst of our relationships and work with bringing healing and bringing encouragement. With this Philippians passage then, We come to this conclusion, and this is not an easy one. Reassembly begins with us, regardless of who initiated the fuss. As a Christ follower, initiation begins with us, regardless of who initiated the fuss. And we have all kinds of excuses, places we go, right? Well, I didn't start it. They did that, right? Well, you're probably right. but. Our mindset of Christ Jesus was not to stay at a distance and just forgive, but to come close in proximity and begin to work with that brokenness. And you are called to do that. And some of you were called to do it last week, and by golly, you came back this week. That's good, because you still don't want to do it. And maybe some of you decided to watch online today because it's less convicting maybe when you watch at home. I don't know. But who is God calling you to take initiative with, even if you did not start the fuss? So we're going to look at these reassembly decisions that are required. Okay? And so here's the first one. And it's the only one we're going to camp on here today. The first one is this. I will get back to. Not get back at. I will get back to the person, the relationship and the healing. I will not get back at. So this is not just one of those not kind of decisions. This is a proactive decision that I'm going to choose not to get back at the person. Even if you haven't talked to them for years, your mind you're trying to get back at them maybe some way or trying to shun them in some other ways. But I am going to get to that person. I'm going to get to addressing, excuse me, the brokenness of it. And when I think in terms of the relationships that God's asked me um, to take that initiative with, I, uh, I had to pause. I have to center myself, and I have to say, God, by your power and your strength, I'm going to get back to this and not back at him. Because left unto ourselves, I don't believe that in our human capacity, especially our sinful, broken human capacity, we have the ability to even get back to something. It has to be by the help of God. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, you can ask God for help and maybe he'll work through your life and you become a Jesus follower when you see how he can orchestrate and do things. But I need to be proactive in this. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to some Christians in Rome during, I don't know, the mid part of the first century. And things weren't really going well in Rome. And Paul had never been to Rome before he wrote the letter or the book of Romans. But there was a lot happening there that was very difficult and challenging for the Christians. And those Gentiles who he would wish to see come to know Christ. And so he wrote the beautiful treatise of the book of Romans. It's deep theologically. It starts off talking about the condition of mankind, human beings and sinful nature, that kind of thing. And it talks about, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life was set free because of what Christ has done. And, and, and then he encourages people to, to walk into the relationship with him. And then in the middle part of Romans, it turns. It turns from this great book of theology and inspiration concerning what Christ has done to be able to have your sins forgiven, the power of sin broken in your life, to come into the vertical restored relationship with God through Christ, through his provision of all that he's done in our brokenness. And then he pivots and he turns with chapter 12 to talk about very pragmatic things. And and he sort of goes... Um, goes deep and it gets heat on it really quick. You know, he says, "Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Right, and then a few verses later, right after that 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 kickstart to uh, Romans 12, he says, "This love must be sincere." Okay, rubber hits the road. Got to. <sighs> Mindset of Christ and all of our relationships, Christ in me, hope of glory, fully alive in Christ, like we talk about as a church. And he says, Love must be sincere. Why does he say that? Just, just direct, because a lot of times our love is fakey, right? Or we put on the smile, everything's okay. Or, Hi, how you doing? Good, like that, right? I sometimes refer to it as the Jesus smile, right? Well, we know Marcus. But he's saying love has to be sincere. There can't can't be any fakeness in it. It has to address authenticity. It has to come out of your heart with it. And this, we'll get to it, and and how how maybe God can help with that. But love must be sincere if you're to have the mindset of Jesus Christ and all of your relationships with one another. So make sure that when you step back to... These relationships are to the person. You're not being fakey. And sometimes it goes a long ways just to be sincere in your interactions and upfront with them. And sometimes you just have to, you know, this is it's an awkward relationship. I know that we're not, we haven't been doing that well together. Take not the low road for the sake of manipulating or coercing or convincing or controlling a person but because christ dwells within you and his spirit can bring an appropriate conviction in your own heart about your interior life and your attitude and when you direct your thoughts to them know that it has to be sincere our love has to be sincere to them and then it says this he says hate what is evil cling to what is good Hate what is evil. Cling to what is evil. Have you ever been hurt so bad? Somebody did something wrong to you. It didn't go right. You know, maybe it happened to a friend and you're really bothered by that person because of the friend uh, or uh, something that happened to your kid, you know, and you're like, I just hate them. Now, that's a rightful kind of emotion. You can't deny the hate or the anger. All right? If there's brokenness and as wrong has happened, there's going to be anger and there's going to be hate. But the question is, where is your hate and your anger directed to? And what he's saying here, hate what is evil? Cling to that which is good. So for me, when I go back to some of the broken relationships, I go like, I can't believe that. That person undermined me. And, and, and it's like, no, wait a second. Let me stop hating the someone and hating the what. What is it? Because I tell you what, God's on your side with this. God hates brokenness and division. He hates evil. He hates malice. Maybe somebody's done something wrong to you on a financial front. Maybe it's, you know, wrong on some other kind of a power play front. And you want to, you want to just hate that person. Well, don't go there because it'll start to turn you up, but I can't keep you from going there because that's sort of our human disposition, right? We're going to get back, right? I'm going to get back at this person. But can you, can you isolate what you're angry about related to that relationship with that person and let your anger, let your hatred, if you will, rightfully go there? Now, there is someone that I hate that all of us can hate, and that is the author of evil, And that is Satan himself, Lucifer who fell and his minions that do that. And so I I, a lot of times it's like, man, I hate you, Satan. Now, what I'm doing there is not, you know, hey, pastor, chill out a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, no, what do I do with that emotion, that interior part of me that wells up, that wants to see vindication in one sense? Well, I'm deferring to God with it, ultimately, right? Because I'm not going to take on Satan if you will. But I'm like, I know there's an author of the evil and the brokenness. And that author, through our own sinful life or even direct attacks himself, can, can cause us to do things that we shouldn't do. But in my anger, and Jesus had righteous anger, right? Remember when he went into the temple, overthrew the tables, and said, you know, my house should be a house of prayer? We gave reference to it last week or week before in a prayer time we had. And I'm like, okay, how do I hate what is evil and then cling? Oh, man. It would have been so much better if they would have done this rather than that. Or that would have been a rightful way. How many times I try to treat others now in ways that I know that I wish I would have been treated in a similar situation. It's because we learn, right? And we understand and and we try to cling to that which is good and to offer that which is good. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, in our relationships with one another, we need to have the mindset of Christ. So this is what we do. We need to get back to, not back at. And so love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then verse 10 of Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And how are you devoted to one another? Well, you defer to one another. You first. You first. I'm devoted to you and to your well-being, and I'm going I'm to honor you. Honor one another above yourselves. Don't put your agenda out there first. Even though you're hurt even though you're wounded, and it's like an open gash that's not healed back hardly any. You, in your actions towards the other person, you need to work at honoring that. Even if you don't like what they did, what they did, you have to see them and understand them, and, and this is sort of where we're going here in a little bit, as, as God ends up seeing them, especially if you're a Jesus follower, and you have the mindset of Jesus within you. So, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And we'll skip down a couple of verses there. And it says in four, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. That's not fun. In fact, that's a little strange statement because we usually wouldn't use the word persecute too much today. Maybe if you're a teenager, you're, my parents are persecuting me, right? You know, But you're you're saying, you know... These people done me wrong. There's some persecution. But, you know, people, they don't wake up. And I've learned this over the years. Maybe People are usually so myopic in their own life that they really aren't thinking about you. So don't spend a lot of time worrying about what they're thinking about you. They're just thinking about themselves and what's before them. But so this myopicness that comes. They're not waking up every morning going, how can I persecute Carrie more today? How can I just sort of stick it in and turn it a little bit and make them feel terrible? No. But Paul knew that these people he was writing to were up against something. Who was the leader of Rome at the time? Nero. And even though Paul had not been there, and he had not experienced the persecution or seen the persecution, I mean, Nero was killing Christians. You think some things maybe are getting a little topsy-turvy, or the winds are blowing a little choppy waters in our culture or our nation today? Friends, you have nothing on Rome. You have nothing on Rome. They would kill Christians for the slightest kind of things or to make it that, and, and so they were under intense persecutions for being Jesus followers. And here's, here's Paul, he has the audacity to step in and go, hey, bless those who persecute you. Text him back, right? Oh, I guess they didn't have text in. Yeah, right, Paul, you're way far away in some other place. He says, bless those who persecute you. In other words, there's a, different, a deferring to them, that you're commending them. Actually, this is a hard one for me because I'm all right if I can just stay quiet. But why do I have to say something good about them? I'll just let other people think what they want to think about that person. But he says, you need to bless those who persecute you to commend them, and bless and do not curse. Yeah, I should have stayed home this morning, Carrie. This is not good for me. Should have stayed home. In all of your relationships as a Jesus follower, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Man, you ever read through the Gospels, especially the account of the Passion Week and stuff, and think to yourself, Jesus could have said some really good stuff. He could have stuck it in. I mean, you sort of see it a little bit with Pilate, you know, when he was before Pilate, you know. You know Are you the king of the Jews? Why do you call me king? Did, did you come to discover this or did some others tell you about me? But Jesus, he would choose not to curse. And Paul says that needs to be a part of our mindset and our disposition. And it says, read this, rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, my goodness. That means you need to be happy when they're happy. Really? Can't I just cross arms, sit back, I'm fine. No, it says rejoice with those who rejoice. How about mourn with those who mourn? Maybe there's brokenness that's come in their life, and secretly you're saying to yourself, (laughs) good for them, they deserve it. I mean, that's our human sinful nature. You're going to sort of, what I sometimes say, get down in the mud puddle with them. You're you're going to mourn with those who mourn and the brokenness and feel for them. You know, even if people have, I always find it interesting in our culture and our interactions and things that we see fly around on a week by week basis, words, comments, headlines, you know, something that's going to get more clicks by how they phrase it and all that. I'm like, really? Why are we just mixing up this stew and being mean to one another? Even if the person is in brokenness or what they are doing isn't evil. We don't have to participate in that. We don't have to let our minds go there. We don't have to get down in the gutter with them and start you know, cursing them or those kinds of things or rejoicing when they're mourning or upset when they're rejoicing. No, you rejoice when they rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. That big show of all the police officers in New York City this week, that was amazing. At the death of the police officer that happened there, the two of them ended up dying. And just the the standing of support, mourning with those who mourn. Oh, and then there's political kinds of comments or other kinds. It just don't go there. But it's just not on that macro scale. It's on our personal scale. Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe it's in your own home. And then verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Live in in harmony means to to seek the peace, to walk in that stead, to be able to to work with um, the relationship so that, you know, there could be a, fluidid, a fluid kind of response that's, that's harmonious and not cantankerous or contentious. Do not be proud. And then, then this is the statement that's really with our due decision today. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not get back at. You're going to get back to in the relationship. Not back at. Don't repay evil for evil. That's getting back at if you repay evil for evil. No. You're to get back to. And in this decision, then, you're just going to decide. Learner's guide. I'm going to choose not to get back at I'm going to get back to and the two goes first I think so a lot of times you know when you hear the voices of others sometimes and you participate in the voices of that I, in some of my historical situations I just find myself there I, I sort of like it when somebody says yeah I see that too and that was wrong and and you have these interactions, and, and you try to defend you, yourself and that kind of thing, and you don't, you know, think the best or speak the best to the other person. But you walk away from that encounter with others talking about the situation or the sitch, I guess is how they refer to it today. And you go, why does that still bother me? Why is there still tension? when that subject or that person is brought up. That's telling you something about your interior life, your interior life that God wants to to work at healing and fixing. Because your happiness goes along with your healthy relationships and happiness in a holistic sense is God wants you to live um, in harmony with one another. He doesn't want you to repay evil for evil. Because it will chew you up. It will sideline you and move you in directions that are not healthy. And, and, you know, sometimes it's not just you. It's your kids. You know why I think today um, there's a lot of need to do this practical guide for reassembling relationships? is because our kids don't see it happen. And they don't see it happen in our life sometimes. They overhear the complaints or the badgering. They don't see the initiative. <laughs> Melissa reminded me of something. That I probably shouldn't say this. Levi, my son, sitting down here. My boy's special needs, had his 23rd birthday. It was the last week. It was last Sunday, wasn't it, Levi? And um, Levi saw me in an encounter once a number of years ago with a neighbor when their dogs really started barking, barking really loud, They'll, what I refer to sometimes as yapper dogs, please forgive me for that. But man, they were lit up, and I was trying to cut a Christmas tree. And I was having a hard time cutting off the end of it right, making sure it standing, it was crooked, and I ended up cutting myself there a little bit. And the dog next door is, is just yakking, 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 yakking. I took my tree saw, which is a curved, scary-looking thing, I had it in my hand. I forgot I had it in my hand, and I walked over to the neighbor's fence, and I went to the dog. I guess I thought the neighbor was gone. He looks through the door at me. He comes out. Hey, now settle down. I'm like, I'm sorry. You yeah. know, okay. My son saw it. I was in church that day, and I think I gave reference to it. Maybe if you've been around here a while, you remember, I gave reference to it. And I was saying how I I needed to go and apologize and make that right. It was the next morning. It was late at night, the night before. We get home after church. We park the car in front of the house, and Levi says to me, you need to go next door now. You were listening? <laughs> so I walked over next door and knocked my son on my arm, and I apologized to him for the disposition of the spirit that I had. Now, we had a good relationship. That was just the heat of the moment, was a bad moment. And I don't know, I was tired of hearing his dogs. <laughs> do our children see us mending, healing relationships, or do they just see us going down rabbit holes? going down gutters that we shouldn't be going down. I will get back to. I will not get back at. And sometimes we need need people around us that bring us accountability in that regards. So where does this land for you today? I want you to remember this. Forgiveness is going halfway. But God did not stop with forgiveness. You can forgive at a distance. And maybe I'll pick it up next week. I I, I really want to flesh out some of this whole understanding of forgiveness. Because a lot of times we think we've forgiven someone and we really haven't. But it really sort of plays into this getting back kind of aspect of it. All right. But even with the most holistic understanding, I forgive. Forgiveness is only going halfway. God could have forgiven from heaven but he came to reconcile by coming to this earth through Christ he came near to us he did not stop with forgiveness god's forgiveness was a means to an end and what was that end that he would reconcile the world to himself through Christ and what Christ was doing reconciliation was the end Now, you can't control reconciliation, and reconciliation should not be your goal because you can't control what another person is. But you can live a life, what, with the goal of no regrets. And in your no regrets, you can step back and say, all right, first of all, have I forgiven? And we can talk about that more later. But is there forgiveness? But even with the forgiveness, that's not enough because it's not uh, going to the ends of get back to. I will get back to, not just get back at. And so God has something for you today and something for me. And hopefully it's not the the neighbor that I have to go apologize to for the next thing that I do wrong. Um, Yeah, I I just need to limit it right there because there's some other neighbor things that have happened to me recently that I could. uh, Actually, I learned from that lesson to just, you you know, maybe I mentioned it. They say the other day, I read something that said that maturity is erasing the whole text and just sending okay. Do you know what I mean by that? In the heat of the moment. Do I hit send or not? Stop! Don't do it! Can't take it back, right? Erase, erase, erase. Okay. Yeah, I need to finish up here, because I did. I learned from that neighbor experience for a recent neighbor kind of thing. And... Um, I just want to exhort us as we close to um, do something. I want us to think of this prayer that you can sort of pray. It's a reassembly, reassembly required prayer. And, and I heard Andy Stanley speak on it because that's sort of um, some of the support and reference for the ideas of this series. And, and he was talking about how he went to a counselor once and the counselor... Um, ask him the question, because the question Andy had was, uh, how do I know if things are improving or I'm doing okay in these broken relationships? And he exhorted him to think, he says, well, when you begin to see the other person as God sees them, then you're making progress. And when you begin to feel for the other person, like God would feel for that person, then you are making progress. So if we were to put that into a prayer, and it's sort of a dangerous prayer, Jesus, God, help me to see blank the way that you see them. Help me to feel towards blank the way that you feel. And so who would you put in your blank? What name or group of people would you put in your blank? And, and could that be a prayer that you would sincerely begin to unpack and pray in your life? Help me to feel towards them as you feel towards them. Help me to see them as you would see them. So many times I get frustrated maybe with people or I see situations that happened or pains that make me righteously angry sometimes. And I'm like, pause, Carrie. What's going on in the interior part of their life that you would have no knowledge that they're trying to carry right now? And could it be that that's causing them to act a certain way or to be offensive towards you? Lord, help me to see people as you see them, to feel towards people as you feel towards them, and see where that kind of prayer takes you, and see where the Holy Spirit might work at your life and helping you to do decision number one, which is to get back to and not get back at a person. We're gonna pick it up as we move from there next week. But I hope that during the course of the week, you just don't put it on the shelf, but that you're actively working with the Spirit of God to teach and instruct. Because reassembly required just just a beginner's guide, so much that we can say to this. We just unload that one particular one today, because God moved towards us, and we need to move towards others as God will lead. I understand sometimes time's needed. Sometimes it's not reciprocated. There's a lot of breadth in class 201 and 301 and 401 with that, but just class 101, beginner's guide, move two. Don't get back at. There's the, the song Reckless Love. You know that song? And in Reckless Love it says there's no shadow you won't light up, God. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And then we sing, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. God didn't get back at it. He got back to I'm going to ask the ushers if they take their place to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings or connect cards or responses that you might have and you can just come forward as you have that opportunity and uh, if you want to be a part of the rooted experience just put rooted on there I'll follow up with you and and we'll see maybe how we can make that happen but I'm mindful in a moment like this morning um, as we take the Lord's tithes and offerings here and online that there's ministry that needs to maybe be happening with people. After we close, there's always a prayer area for you to come to up here uh, to be able to pray with someone. And maybe sometimes you don't even have to mention the name of the person you filled the blank in with, but maybe you're just wrestling with it, say, I just need to pray with somebody concerning this situation. I mean, maybe, maybe you're not a Jesus follower this morning, and you go, That is nuts. That would be crazy to try to do what the Apostle Paul just articulated in that letter to the Roman um, believers. It is impossible without Christ in your life. And maybe you want to just talk with someone about that. Maybe pray to invite Christ into your life today. You can do that. Changes, transforms the interior part of our life. You don't have to clean your life up to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus so he can help clean your life up. But um, I'm going to do something here as we just dismiss. We always talk about the, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting, and then the meeting after the meeting. There's three meetings. And um, we had an extra meeting last week with the chili cook-off. That all went good. And and everybody out for that, that kind of thing. But um, we're going to dismiss you to the meeting after the meeting. The the bounce houses, I just heard them turn on. a blow up for the kids. and You can hang out and meet one another. I get so... Disappointed sometimes. We just can't take turn and greet times like we used to pre COVID in here, but greet others, meet people, um, be the awkward person, reintroduce yourself to the person for the third time. It doesn't matter. But maybe you just need to pause here for another five minutes. And so I'm going to dismiss us. Um, and, um, you know, we keep our interactions outside the doors and all that's good. But maybe you just need to settle something with God here, and this can be sort of our benediction. I want us to take that song, Reckless Love, and uh, I want to have it shown up here as a video on the screen as it relates to just seeing the expansive nature of God. And maybe you want to make yourself to the prayer area to pray with someone. Maybe you just want to pray with where you're at right now. I mean, you can carry on conversation later today. You can say, hey, you know, ask the person, you know, you know, or tell the other person you have lunch with, you know, hey, you know, when the convince, convict, coerce, control. Which one of those tools do you use, or you know, which one do your parents use, or did they parents use on you? That kind of thing. Maybe you get bold enough to say who you might fill the blank in with, or how to encourage. Okay, so take the subject matter and move it forward. But for the next five minutes, maybe some of you just need to spend time. Sealing something with the Lord that he's put a decision in your heart with this morning. And so we're going to close with reckless love as a song of meditation and prayer. You don't have to stay for it. You can get up and you can be dismissed because you're dismissed here. But maybe you want to linger. His reckless love is so incredible. And it's always pressing towards us. And he wants it to be pressed into others, even those hurt you.